Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What's up, Mets fans? Welcome back to episode number 83 of the Mets Up Podcast, brought to you by the Seven Line. Second series of the year, going up against those fighting Phils, and boy, did the Mets actually win. We won the series, took it 2-1. to one. Of course, as you know, we're going to go through everything that went on in game 1, 2, and 3 on the Mets Up Podcast during this episode, as well as we have our first prospect report of the entire season, as well as previewing the Arizona Diamondbacks home opener series that me and James are going to both be at. So we have a lot to say this episode. Let's get going right into it. Of course, Make sure you're dropping us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Mets Up. You'll be able to find us there. Video versions of everything will go up on the YouTube channel. If you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen, that's where you'll be able to find us. And make sure you drop us a five-star rating and a review as well. It really does help grow the pod. Let's go ahead and bring in James. James, we're in person again. Two episodes in a yes, row. Two in a row. The boys are together watching baseball. Things mm-hmm. are feeling normal. Had a nice stream today. Had a great stream on Twitch. It was uh, a lot of fun, especially when the Mets win. Yeah. We get that great clip from Alonzo. Got to oh, post that. Yes, we're going to post that later today, although it will be already old when you guys are listening to this. But it will be going up. If you're if you're somehow listening to this on Wednesday, it will be up on Wednesday night. You'll see me and James jump and high-five each other on the Pete Alonzo home run in Game 3, which was fantastic. But I think we want to start this one off with Game 1 because yeah. Game 3 was actually good. We don't have to you know do Monday morning quarterback stuff here. We could take this series as it is. And this is also going to be an off-day podcast, so this will be a nice time for all the Mets fans who maybe didn't get to catch as much of this Philly series as they want to sit down, relax, take a deep breath, and be able to listen to us tell you guys Every single thing that happened, all three of these games. And let me tell you, there was a lot that happened. And it started with game one, where the Mets got out early and got all over Ranger Suarez. Now, granted, they got all over him, but they also didn't because Alec Bohm was just doing something that was... I haven't really seen in a long yeah, time. And someone, either Marte or Lindor, hit a line drive off of Ranger Suarez, like second batter of the game. Yeah, Marte smoked it off his yes. leg. And the Mets got off to a hot start. 3 nothing in the first inning. Yes. Normally feels really, really, really good, especially with the way that was being done. Like Alec Bohm simply just yeah. had a mental breakdown. Could not throw the ball to first base at all. Felt bad for Alec Bohm that game. There was that viral clip of him saying, I fucking hate this place under his breath to, I think, Didi. Yeah. And it was caught, and all the Phillies fans were very aware of it during the game. He started getting booed a lot, also because of the errors. But that's just not a really good plan by Joe Girardi, because you know you're going to be pitching Ranger Suarez, who's a lefty, a little more of a soft thrower, and he has a sinker and a changeup. He pitches to ground balls. The Mets are going to stack their lineup with righties. Ranger Suarez is going to pitch them all to get ground balls, and a lot of those ground balls from right-handed hitters on a guy with not much velocity are going to be to the pole side. Uh, to the shortstop and third baseman. So why are you not maximizing your infield defense when this guy's on the mound? No, what was funny too is that it felt like the Mets' game plan, as much as it's not, they were just like, let's just hit ground balls to Alec Bohm all game. Because every single ball, it felt like for the first few innings, went right to Alec Bohm. He was on watch from the beginning. The throws, the mental errors, everything. It caused us to get a 3-0 lead. It was a great start. And it was also great too because Taiwan, in his season debut, Looked so good Amazing. out of the gate. Looked so good. Looked exactly how he looked in the first half of last year. His splitter had a ridiculous seven whiffs on seven swings and was sitting like 90, 89 miles an hour, which is where it sat last year when he was his most effective. His fastball is up to 93, 94. Really put all of those horrible things we saw in that last spring training start behind. And I was like, yes, we have good Taiwan. I was scared about Taiwan a lot going into this game. Oh, I was terrified. I put an in over ballpark. I put an over first run innings because... Oh, we, I mean, I did too. That hit. Shout out to anybody who trailed the Messed Up Podcast on Monday night. And it wasn't because of Taiwan. No. Now, did I put that back because of Taiwan? A little bit. A little bit. A little bit in Citizens Bank Ballpark with that Phillies lineup, the way he made that last start. But he really kind of silenced all those worries because he was throwing, what, 93-94. And the splitter was 90. The splitter was great. Like, he was kind of dominant. He was dominant. He pitched two dominant innings. And then 
After an inning, he gave the finger like this to the trainer, called him into the tunnel, and he was out for the game. What we now know is shoulder bursitis, which is a bad sign in April for a guy who has dealt with arm, arm problems in the past. Yeah, it looks like Taiwan is going to miss a decent chunk of time here. They said that even when he is back, he's going to rehab because they yeah. want him to get back and strong. He still hasn't thrown almost any innings because he didn't pitch much in spring. Nope. He obviously isn't pitching much now. We might not be seeing Taiwan until maybe the middle of the summer, it feels like. Yeah, this is all lining up kind of reverse of how it lined up last year. This yeah is yeah. that all the guys are getting hurt now at the beginning of the year, which I, I don't months. I don't know what's worse. I mean this the fact that we can beat the Phillies. This is the most scared I was about the early part of the schedule playing the Phillies thirteen times before June first, which everyone this week caught on to that. Even though I told all you guys that two weeks ago, yep. so shout out. But the fact that we could handle them without our A pitching is a really good sign. A big reason we were able to handle them in this game specifically was David Peterson, who looked as good as he's looked in the past two years against a very scary Phillies lineup. I mean, me and James in conversations, I was terrified about David Peterson pitching in Philly. I know he's a ground ball pitcher, so it kind of works in that park. But just that lineup and the quality of hitters and how David Peterson looked in the spring, a lot of things were being left middle, away, middle of the plate, like a lot of hittable pitches. He was getting kind of smacked around the spring when you see Harper, Realmuto, Castellanos, Schwarber, Hoskins. I go, this might not be a good move here, but David Peterson shut me the hell up. And yeah. he really pitched well to the point where you start to feel a little bit good about David Peterson. At least good about the fact that he's on this roster and he's going to be getting innings. Like David Peterson was no world beater by any means. He pitched four innings. I think he only had like one, two or three strikeouts. Yeah, it, He wasn't like blowing people away, but he kept a very talented offense at bay. He stayed mostly at the bottom of the zone. He threw a couple of those very nice uh, back foot sliders to righties that he does. He had a couple of nice outside sliders to lefties. His changeup was fading very nicely. He also debuted what I think was basically a newish curveball. It looked new. In this game. It was two for two on whiffs. It had five more inches of drop than any curveball he threw all of last year. So... This was a pretty good sign from David Peterson. The Just the fact that he was good and solid is great. Him being good is great, if you understand what I'm saying there, right? Yeah, no, him yeah. being good is great because we haven't seen him be good no, really in yes. a while since like that 2019 season. Or 2020 whatever. was decent, too. He was all right. Yeah. Or that's what I meant, 2020. Yeah. And he had like one start against the Rays last year where he was just peppering that back foot slider against righties nonstop. And the fact that he was comfortable enough throwing that pitch is a very good sign. I like, I like Peterson now to offer his depth, especially... Since we're going to need it with Taiwan done. Yeah, with Taiwan out, For a little while. Peterson's going to fill in that spot. Trevor Williams now takes over the Tyler McGill slash what was then going to yeah. be David Peterson, <laughs> which is now Tyler our Trevor Williams spot. I feel a lot better having him pitch like this. And then we knocked out Ranger Suarez quickly, and mm-hmm. that's usually a good sign. You get to the Phillies bullpen early. It's a good sign, but Nick Nelson came in and kind of just stopped everything. The Mets really didn't hit much once Nick Nelson came into the game, and we allowed the Phillies to hang around. And as you know in baseball, it's dangerous. You can't let teams hang around. When you jump out to a 3 nothing, 4 nothing lead early like the Mets did, you got to bury them. You and have to bury them. With the offense that they have, too, you want them to start pulling starters out of the game. And you get a bullpen on the ropes. Nick Nelson didn't really look bad. He also didn't look great. I know he came from the Yankee system. I don't know much about his pitches, but we just didn't really have anything, any way to hit him. It's not like we were hitting the ball hard off Ranger Suarez, either. We didn't hit the ball hard off of Nick Nelson. We weren't striking out very much because it seems like this Mets team isn't going to strike out as much as we're used to, but... Just like you said, you let the Phillies hang around. You kind of invite danger into into the game. And can you believe I'm going to say this, but James McCann kind of was big for us in this game. He made, made a huge impact. He stole a base. Yeah. He stole second right underneath their noses. Good for one a year. One a year. He still doesn't really do much at the plate, but no. stealing the base, making an impact where he can, ended up being huge Lindor driving him in. That was a big difference at one point with massive, that run. It was a massive insurance run that made the game 4 nothing at the time, which felt... The way the Phillies had looked at the plate so far in that game insurmountable, especially the way the Mets were playing defense. Luis Guillorme started this game at second base. Looked great. He was glove was everywhere. He had a couple really nice double play turn that I don't know if many of the second basemen, not even on this roster in this entire league, could have made. A ball that he was leaning away from throwing, it just spun his entire body and threw a, it's a good, it still wasn't a perfect throw, but with the way his momentum was going, it turned out to be a very necessary throw, and Pete dug it out for a big double play. Which is huge. Got us to have a huge jam, but then the eighth inning comes. Yes. And back-to-back nights, back-to-back games, mm-hmm. the eighth inning was trouble. It started weird, too, because Trevor May, who had pitched a great seventh, looked awesome in the seventh, Mm -hmm. came out for his second inning. Mm -hmm. And you guys have seen it probably all over Twitter, but we're going to keep talking about this. It was a bizarre decision because Trevor May, a guy who does have arm issues, he's a Tommy John guy, he's he's had a litany of arm issues through his career, he's been relatively healthy with the Mets, which is great to hear. But he came out for the second inning the first time since 2019, right? 2020, 2020, okay, in the shortest season. never as a Met. 
Never as a Met. First time as a Met, immediately walked the guy, and it looked like on the last pitch they threw, he screamed and shouted and was wincing in pain. And Eduardo Escobar even was like, you guys got to come get him. Like yeah, he's Trevor May does things like that normally. Like, he will scream and shout on the mound. But the fact he was, like, wincing, and then he got the ball, he rubbed it up, and he was still, like, rubbing the arm around, something was wrong, and he immediately came out of the game. And luckily... The MRI, yeah. nothing too serious. I was very scared. I was terrified. I yeah. thought... I, she said the back of your arm, that's not good. Yeah, I thought... Me and my dad thought that he said, uh, I felt something pop. Yeah. To which you go, oh my God, a pop? Like, oh yeah, that's, no, no pops. No pops. We only, want no only, pops. Only the bats. Yeah, only the bats need to be popping. No arms. <laughs> Luckily, Trevor May, not seriously injured. I don't know when he's going to pitch again. Cause I don't know either. He's not in the IL, so I'm expecting that they're expecting him to be ready for this Diamondback series. Which makes sense with the day off tomorrow. Yes. But here's where the issue came in. Joely came in. He got the lefties out. Yes. But because of the issues and the trouble that we were already in, he had to face JT Ramuto with guys on base. Yep. And JT Ramuto stabs one. it. Stabs it right into us. Crushes a home run on an inside changeup, which it, for the life of me, I, I, I still don't understand the pitch calling there. Pitch calling has been a little bit weird. If I'm going to get really nitpicky, I haven't been thrilled with some of the pitches that have been called. But, of course, it's going to be a long season. You can find that every single game with every single pitcher. Especially lefty versus righty, though. Yeah, that's... Power that's, hitting righty. It's like sacrilegious to throw an yeah. inside changeup from the left-handed side to a righty. Not that that was the intended location. Yes. I, I'm, I'm sure... I hope. I pray. That wasn't the game plan to throw a low and inside changeup to a righty because you're just speeding it up. You're, you're helping him out, getting that bad head out in front of it as opposed to lefty or on the outside corner. He's going to try and pull the ball and hit a weak ground ball. But he got a hold of it crushed it and then Seth Lugo came in and you go okay at least it's 4-3 that huge run was that that run was big by yes. James McCann it looked like we were going to be okay cuz Lugo's in he's our guy two outs nobody on against Nicasianos, right yeah. right-handed hitter then followed by Reese Hoskins right-handed hitter yeah so you figure I've Seth Lugo what was going into the season my second or third best reliever with two outs and nobody on this really should be okay and he had Cassianos one two and then he lost him and he just he you could tell once you lost him he did not have his stuff that no. night and unfortunately the three batter minimum rule does this to you I don't necessarily know who the Mets would have gone to if it wasn't for Lugo anyway I don't think they had any idea either but in a perfect world you would have seen that first batter and go this guy doesn't have it yes. you gotta yank him because or at least it, the second one it really is so obvious when Lugo doesn't have his stuff you can tell from the first pitch almost every single time especially with his off speed pitches in this game Lugo was throwing mostly fastballs and besides that sliders the fact that he didn't have the grip of that curveball which is his out pitch it's one of the better curveballs in all of baseball, there should have been alarm bells ringing. Yeah, I mean, I texted you. I was like, where's the curveball? Throw the curveball. You, you spiked a couple and you couldn't, you couldn't get it over. Yep. Hoskins hit the piss missile and then DD fucking Gregorius, man. My God. Breaks the game open yeah. for the lead, 5-4. DD doing anything is devastating to me because that guy's horrible. And I preach about how terrible DD Gregorius is as a player. He's still an okay hitter. He's, he's really not a bad bat. He's a slightly above average league, above oh, league average bat. I think you're thinking of older DD. I don't think you saw what he did last year. He was... He was horrendous last year. I mean, I'll give him I'll give him a one year window. I'm going to pull up his fan graphs really quickly before we move on. But, but anyway, I mean, like having him get the hit really rubs some salt in the wound. But like we're feeling good. You want to know why? Because we saw our our least favorite. He bet. was so bad last year. That's what I'm saying. But the year before he was like 116, 19 bad. Actually, he might just be pretty bad now. Yeah, yeah. That's wow. Ugh. Yeah, no, I don't say this just as the anti Philly. Like, he played 100 games last year. He had 209 average. He's horrible. I'm Jesus. telling you. That's why it was so bad that he got the hit, especially yeah. with how much shit I talked to the Phillies and their players and their fans. But hmm. we felt good because Brad Hand was coming onto the field. And we were like, hey, this guy stinks. It's almost painful when you're the road team and you give up a big lead like this in the bottom of the eighth because you have no time to scramble. You, there's no time to readjust. Like All of a sudden, you have Brad Hand coming up. The Mets had no righties left on the bench. All lefties do up in the inning, and it's just you just got Brad handed. He picked off some bullshit strikes. Dom, Dom had, got screwed on Dom, two yeah, calls. Dom got screwed on two calls. And like the slider lefty on lefty, it's going to play. But the fastball, he was just picking off these stupid corners, the dumb angle he comes in to throw. Umpire was helping him out, and I was in personal hell. Yeah, no, it was awful to watch Brad Hand do exactly what Brad Hand has done for the last five years has made people think he's a great reliever. For like three years. He used to be good. Last three okay, years, he's fine. Been yeah, that's fine. That's more fair. He did yes. have a good point where he was good, but he's been doing what he's been doing the last three years to convince people that he is still good. Mm-hmm. Yet everyone around the league who actually knows ball goes, this guy is just really teetering on a, on a really just, tight rope. It's a mer- mer- miracle every time he gets an out. And the Mets lost, and we held the spaces, and the sky was falling, and yeah, everything was, was terrible after two heartbreaking eighth inning losses where the bullpen seemingly just crumbled. Mm-hmm. Although I guess technically the Nationals game, the bullpen didn't crumble, but. They blew the game in the eighth inning. Yeah, in back-to-back games. But luckily, we pulled the nose back up for game two, which was being pitched by our new ace, Tyler McGill. Yep, Tyler McGill, man. He is... 
I love him. He's, he's great. He's awesome. so good. We, I, big Dick Energy. Every time he pitches, I, I, I know his nickname is Big Drip, which I don't get that. What is is that like a joke? On I, I guess it's a joke. Maybe he's like not a flashy dresser. Maybe he just, he does have swag. Like you can see the way he walks. He has swag. The way he's like his moniker, his facial expressions. Like he's a swagged up dude. So that could be Dick Drip, like Drip swag. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, but he let me tell you, he got he has it. He has yeah. all the confidence in the world. He went up against what is considered to be one of the best lineups in all of baseball. Shut him down. Just absolutely disgusting. Just diced him up effortlessly. He was so good. I mean, pumping ninety seven, yes. pumping ninety eight again, whatever he was with that devastating slider. The slider looks so good again, which Dude, it is was really more nice about the changeup in the start. He only threw eight sliders the whole game, but still look good. Yeah, still look good. But the changeup he threw twenty five percent of the time. It seems like that's the pitch that's leading the Tyler McGill race to be the uh, do some word diary here. His primary secondary pitch. I will say that. The, the pitch has a significant drop in fade, both by the league average, and he's throwing at 90 miles an hour now. And I caught one view of when they were showing it. Do you have a baseball in here? Yeah. A lot of guys, when they've been developing change-ups in the last few years, especially a guy like Tyler McGill who didn't really have great stuff Keep on it. by your face so they can see it. Who didn't really have great stuff on it. You do what's called the Vulcan change. And based on where the seams are, you can kind of grip this very different way. But you kind of make this three-finger grip on the ball. And you can get a little more drop while maintaining velocity. The fact that Tyler McGill's changeup is now sitting five miles an hour higher than it did last year with more drop and more fade. Like, there were a couple pitches where he, like, would front door a lefty on it. Yep. And it would just, like, find the corner of the zone. But you don't have enough time to react because it's still 90 miles an hour. Tyler McGill has gotten to the pitch laboratory, and he looks incredible. Another adjustment they made, Ronnie pointed this out, he's totally changed his windup. He's basically now just a full stretch pitcher. Yeah. He kind of limited the amount of movement he has before the pitch, and he said that's helped him to use his lower half more and generate this new velocity. What a marvel this guy is. Looks like the star of something special. Looks like the star of something special. It's freaking right. Kay Feldman's eating her fucking words right now, let me oh, tell you. I can't wait till he makes the all-star team. Uh, it's going to be sick. <laughs> as a starter, not uh. as a reliever like she thought he was going to be. I mean, this Tyler McGill. There's just no world where he is not starting every single five every five days for the New York Mets. Yeah, he's course. he's a key main component of this rotation. A, he's an absolute linchpin to what like, we have right like now. even when Degrom comes back, he's 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 up there for sure. And he, even but like he still would be devastating in like one of these three inning Garrett Whitlock bullpen roles because he still is throwing sixty percent fastballs. And again, good on Buck for yanking him in the sixth inning when he was cruising through five and a third. He only had like 75 or 80 pitches again. The fastball still looked effortless with this brand new delivery. But Schwarber came up. And you don't want a talented left-handed hitter to see your pitcher, who's basically only throwing two pitches, 60% of them fastball for a third time. So that's twice in a row the Mets have executed the Tyler McGill plan, and he still has yet to give up a run. Good process with Tyler McGill. Great process. All about the process. The boys love the process. And with Tyler McGill, whenever he's on the mound for some reason, it's crisp, it's clear, clean, and we love it. Now, this game, of course, was a little bit different because the Mets didn't really swing the bats as much as they did in game oh, well. one. They had a lot of opportunities to get some runs early. Specifically, the bat I can remember is Robinson Cano. and The first inning. The first inning. Bases loaded. Two outs. Um Yeah, I, I don't really want to talk too much about this one. No, that's fine. We don't have to. Robinson Cano just had a pretty... Uh, not competitive at bat against Zach Wheeler in the first inning with two outs. And it's just puzzling that he's continuing to get every DH rep over Dom and hitting in a relatively prominent spot in the order. He was sixth in this game, right? Sixth or fifth? He was he was up there. He's... The logic, let's see, three guys on and two outs. That's five batters. He was sixth. Yeah, this it's, it's too much. It's not great. He looked old this series. He looked yeah. old at the plate. He was just he didn't hit the ball out of the infield, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, there wasn't a lot of oomph behind any of the swings. There was a lot of swings and misses. It just looked this was the first time truly the game looked a little too fast yes. for Robinson Cano. And the game was looking fast on Robinson Cano while the starter on the other side, usually one of the best pitchers in baseball, my Cy Young from last year, Zach Wheeler. Didn't have his best stuff either, pitching for the first time after a very long layoff. He was only sitting in the mid nineties. Like this is a this is a guy you have to jump on. The fact that Mets had those three base runners in the first inning were putting the bat in the ball consistently, not able to get a run. I thought that was a bad omen, especially coming off the blown game for the other night. Luckily, Brandon Nimmo popped a little off in the mid-innings, and he got the home run off of Zach Wheeler. I think that was the fifth inning when there's no reason Girardi should have left him in, correct? Yeah, they, they, they gave him a very—they, like, set a very strict pitch limit, and Girardi pushed the envelope and got really, really, really close to it because yes. he was pitching so well and trying to get more because we know that Phillies bullpen can be volatile. Mm-hmm. And it was a mistake because yes. Nimmo took him deep, which was great to see. Nimmo had a really nice series. We'll great talk about series. his Game 3 performance as well. But it's nice to see Nimmo hitting for a little bit of power. I know yeah, it's Philly, so I know it's a little bit different in I mean, Philly. Hey, but This guy last year— it seemed like he cut out a lot of the power in his game to try and get more contact. And so far this season, he seems to be doing both. Which, yes. if Brandon Nimmo could ever marry those two things while maintaining the plate discipline and center field defense, like, ugh, sitting on a gem. 
No, it was it was great, and I was uh, really excited to see Nemo play well. And then they brought in Christopher Sanchez after that, and he yes. was really good. Like, he looked really good too. He but, doesn't have any great stuff by any no, means, but he, could, he did the job. Got the job done, similar to Nick Nelson the night before. But again, Joe Drury left him in too long. He tried to get the third inning out of Christopher Sanchez and Francisco Lindor on the, for the second time in as many nights. Had a very clutch two out. Uh, RBI single, which helped us get an insurance run that we very desperately needed. Which is great, too, because me and you even spoke about like his right-handed swings haven't looked as good, because last yeah. year, his right-handed swings early in the year were great. Yeah. This year, it's been a little bit rougher, I think, but overall, Lindor's looking like closer to that player we paid all this money for. I'm loving the way Lindor's playing. I mean, he's doing exactly what I thought he would do, what we even thought he would do last year. Hit around 260, 265. His on-base percentage would be pretty close to 400, and his slugging percentage would be above 400. That's going to give you a nice over 800 OPS. He's still playing pretty good defense. He's heading for power. He's keeping the lineup moving. He doesn't take really that many bad at-bats. Like, this is the guy who it is. He's going to be a very casual 4 the 5 win player. And if things click right, he's going to have one of those 6 or 7 win seasons. Like, this is a good baseball player. And I just wanted to be known that he got the big extra insurance run in yes. Game 2. He got the big extra insurance run in Game 1. Yes. He drove those both in. So all the Mets fans at home who will definitely start a narrative at some point that Francisco Lindor isn't clutch or doesn't get big hits. Not sure. Just, just remember these two. He's yeah. had, what, two or three pretty big hits already? In- he's had, yeah, he's had three late. He's had three RBIs after the sixth inning of a game so far this year. In seven games. Yes, pretty good. Almost pretty, half. Pretty good. I think when you're talking about clutch and big hits, that's that's exactly what you're looking for. So enough of the Lindor nonsense. Definitely. But otherwise in this game, there were just two really good pitchers on the mound. So there wasn't a lot to talk about with the bats on either side. Kyle Schwarber went this entire series looking lost. Which is a crazy sentence to say for us Mets fans. It that is. dude literally yeah. couldn't get out last year. I think he had, what, seven or eight home runs against us last year? Seven home runs in five games. It's nuts. He just went three games without a hit. Which, he was terrifying. He, yeah. le- he gets the most of bats. He leads off for that team. We held him at check. We held him really well. And I mean, even the bullpen this game, the bullpen, let's talk about them too. Because okay. after- Tyler McGill had a great job at mm-hmm. the beginning. And then the bullpen came in. You mentioned Shreve mm-hmm. did the great job. He yep. got us started. And then our boy, Drew Smith, he continues to show that he is a legitimate good reliever in this bullpen. He's got to be one of the top right-hand arms right now. He is. I mean, he's proving himself to be a, someone who we can trust in high leverage. He's still developing very well because he just he dealt with so many injuries that this is the first time he's really pitched this many consecutive years in his career. Remember, we traded for him from Lucas Duda from the Rays like yeah. six years ago, seven years ago? That's what we should have known he was good. We got, yeah, right. got, got him from the, the Rays. Rays. He touched 97 and a half miles per hour in this game. He mixed in his changeup for the first time all season. His fastball had the 50% whiff rate. Like This is just a really good reliever, someone who... We've been on for a very long time, who I want every Mets fan to be able to sit back comfortably and know you can trust. And he basically he came out for a second inning, too, which yeah. we're starting to see that Buck might love a little bit of a, does. A, a second inning appearance. He did complete the second inning, which no, not many other Mets relievers have done this year that I can remember. But no, he, he was absolutely fantastic. And then, of course, we shut the door in the ninth. Edwin Diaz looked so fucking good. Yes, He disgusting. looked so disgusting. His slider... That's the slider we've been waiting for for Edwin Diaz forever. When he got traded from us from the Mariners, you knew about the 99-mile-an-hour fastball. He had the life, but the slider was the pitch that made him unhittable in Seattle. And he just threw slider after slider after slider to the heart of this order and made them look foolish. No one came really even close to making any sort of damage. No, absolutely. He threw 15 sliders versus eight fastballs. That slider had a let, uh, Phillies swung 11 times at it and generated eight whiffs against the best hitters in this Phillies lineup. Like, yep. he, it was unhittable. But yeah, he was, just, he was just pounding the sliders. He threw that one in the dirt. Yeah. That McCann made a sick play on. Give yeah, McCann some props. With a man on. With a man on. Huge play. Saved the guy got 90, 90 feet closer. And then he called McCann out, had the visit, threw another slider, game over. I mean, I have never seen Edwin Diaz look so confident look as good as he did like yeah. that was a real and he still gave up two hits yeah but they were they were doinks they were yeah, doink hits they yeah. were they were nonsense hits so it was like to see him pitch like that strike out all three batters to get all three outs in the inning that's the Edwin Diaz we've been looking for that's the Edwin Diaz we've been waiting for and I think this is signs that are really really good to come and yes. for a guy who could have been a little cold too coming back from Puerto Rico well they, they said three times in the broadcast that he was throwing in Puerto Rico which is just so funny to me it's just funny to think that there there is someone that he knows that lives in Puerto Rico that is able to catch 99 that, that, that I was literally that was on the tip of my tongue it's shocking I would so many things I'd rather do than catch Edmund Diaz and think about it like 
most of those guys who probably can catch 99 are playing in the minors somewhere or yeah. at, at the major league level. I mean, he probably he probably is friendly with a lot of guys in the professional Puerto Rican league. Yeah, but it's, well, he probably has a cousin. I'm sure he has a cousin. Gotta have a cousin who can catch gotta 99. Have a cousin who's, who's in the pipeline. He, they have bullpen catchers in the family. Yeah, <laughs> a couple, two brothers. But game two, we win. Yes. I want to make one more point about game two. It was ridiculous to see Yaris Familia on the other side of the game. Didn't like it. No. Didn't he, like he it. He diced us up. Looked sick. He crushed it out. I was, well, yeah, I mean, that, that was expected. <laughs> That he made him look foolish, but his splitter was whew, his splitter was working something that. But this is what we've known as Mets fans too: is that when Jerry's Familia is on, you are not hitting him. Yes. It's not happening. It's just when that sinker's left up or that slider he can't throw for a strike. That's when you go, oh boy, yeah, here he is. He has to throw a strike. Yeah, he's uh he's two faced or whatever from Batman. He's yeah. got he's got the Harvey Dent side and he's got the evil side. Jekyll and, and Hyde, yeah, also. Jekyll and Hyde. Like that's Jerry's Familia. Unfortunately, we saw the Jekyll side. I actually don't even know. I don't know what side of I, Jekyll and Hyde is. Jekyll good. sounds more menacing. Than I think Hyde. it's Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Okay, so I think Hyde would be nice. No, I think Hyde's bad, and I think Jekyll. <laughs> you know what? Whatever. I didn't read many books. <laughs> <laughs> I read that one like third grade. I don't even know. We won. That's all you need to know. That's win. It didn't matter how good Jerry's familiar was. Fuck we Jekyll beat them. And Hyde. Yeah, fuck them both. <laughs> fuck Philly. Game three. Max Scherzer, Aaron Nola, rubber match. The yes. boys were streaming it on Twitch. Did matinee. Matinee. I love. I love a good day game on a Wednesday. Nothing better. Getaway day like that. It was great that we just got to get our day started with some Mets baseball. Mm-hmm. Although Max Scherzer looked a little shaky early. It was yeah. weird. Both starters did not start the game well. Both mm-hmm. of them were a little erratic at the beginning. We're not going to talk too much about Nola because it's not that important. But Scherzer, yeah. he walked three batters in the first inning, which I would love to know if someone can figure it out for us how many times he walked three batters in the first inning ever. I haven't. Oh, okay. Howie Rose mentioned in the radio broadcast, I was finishing up my bike ride to hang out here from Brooklyn, and this was only the second time in his career that he had walked three of the first four batters he faced in a game. That's crazy. Crazy. For one of the you know best pitchers that we've seen in our lifetime, and of course, Max Scherzer fashion. He got out yeah. of it. I, I don't know how he does it, but he did. He got out of it. I while, guess that's also the Phillies lineup, too. Yeah, and while screaming at the umpire. Yeah, oh my god. He, he is a psycho. We got to see a little bit of psycho Max Scherzer today. He was calm in Washington. He was nuts today. But you mentioned the Phillies lineup, and it was very apparent this series, and this inning was like the perfect, what's that word? Microcosm. Microcosm of exactly what it is. Good word. That's a two word of the day. A lot of high, high fives, fives today. Ooh, a lot of high fives for the What a boys. series against the Phillies. It's a I big know. day. We, we, just to go off topic here, you spoke all last episode about this is going to set the tone. Yes, we were like, this is did. important. It set the tone. The Mets took two of three and really should have swept. Yes. Really should have swept. There's a world the Mets are 7-0 right now and the boys would be high on life. <laughs> be, jump, be on the roof recording this episode. <laughs> we'd, be, we'd be doing an episode outside. Yeah. But again, this inning, uh, Max Scherzer walked Kyle Schwarber, he walked Bryce Harper, and he walked Castig- Nick Castellanos. And he was kind of nibbling against all three guys. Like, and I will talk about it a little bit later, but he didn't really seem to have great command of his off-speed pitches. Again, last start against Washington was the fastball. This time it was the off-speed pitches, secondaries. But he got out of it, and it just like it just really goes to show how much this guy has in him to be able to get out one of the best lines in baseball, find ways to win when he doesn't have his best stuff. Yeah, no, he did not have his best stuff, and he's still one of the better pitchers in baseball, which is pretty impressive. Yes, also helpful on the other side that uh, Nola was not his usual self either. He was more like the self he was for last year besides when he faced the Mets. He just wasn't getting the whiffs on his knuckle curve, and as a guy who only throws 92-93, relies on location. With that knuckle curve, isn't knuckle curving. Your Mets are going to hit them, and we did. Yeah, I, I got a theory that something was going on at the mound today because it felt like everybody that came into the game was kicking, it. was kicking it, digging in it. Everybody's first few pitches were high. So I'm wondering, high mound, low mound, whatever it was. High mound. Everyone was having an issue, it seemed like, and I, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to blame the mound a little bit here. I don't I'm, think the I'm Phillies groundkeepers were on top of their game. I'm there for that, and hopefully the mound uh, played in because Brandon Nimmo turned on a high fastball and sent it right out to the right field seats. Well, how many home runs would Brandon Nimmo hit in a full season at Citizens Bank Park? 30. 30? Yeah. 30, yeah. Guy's incredible. He's just he's really, really been awesome this season. Today was like again, I'm gonna say it again. Good microcosm for Brandon Nimmo because the only things he did in his at bats were two walks, two strikeouts, and a solo home run. <laughs> the true three outcome king. But on the year, he's getting more contact. He's at a, has 333 average when it was all said and done today over his first seven games, which he loved to see that from Brandon Nimmo. Especially for a guy who we were a little bit nervous about with that stiff neck. A little bit the stiff neck, oh Nimmo, my God. the stiff neck looks like it's fine now because two home runs for Nimmo in the first, you know, five, six, seven games. Pretty, pretty good. good. The pitchers he's pitching against got to turn around and watch it. Snapping necks, Brandon Nimmo, which we didn't expect to see. But that, that really does make this lineup so much more dangerous. If Nimmo has that power in the leadoff yeah. spot like that from the start of the game, you're on notice because he can pop one out. 
Zach could be big for the Mets here. He's a really good ball player. I didn't like in this game, though, with the lineup, just to get nitpick. I didn't like that they separated Francisco Lindor and Pete Alonso in this lineup. There are a couple points in this game where Francisco Lindor was getting on very consistently, and then Marte was up there, and he not that he was putting together bad at-bats, but he's not really smoking the ball so far this season. He had a clutch ribby late. Yep. But to have that Pete and Lindor suction cup in the middle of this lineup is really nice, whether they're 1-2, two, 2-3, two, or 3-4. And Pete did stay on Nola in this game, wound up chasing him. Drove in the, the aforementioned Starling Marte with a ribby double on just a horrific relay play by D.D. Gregorius. Yeah, I mean, on the stream we were talking about a lot. Uh, I love to talk about how bad D.D. is. You guys have probably figured that out. And I definitely love to talk about how bad he is defensively and what that noodle of an arm is. And boy, oh boy, did it show off today. I mean, there was a double play at some point in the game that should have been turned quickly. Couldn't get it done because they turned a horrible double play because the Phillies defense is terrible. But this game... I hate to keep using the same word over and over again, but there were a lot of microcosms here because you saw the Phillies' defense for what it was. The there were things. the little things, relay throws, turning double plays. JT Ramut, or not, it wasn't really his fault late in the game, but the relay or the throw from Nick Castellanos home yeah. wasn't on target. These little things can be the difference makers in between games. So yes, it sounds like a broken record when we talk about the Mets' defense or the Phillies' lack of thereof, but it really can make the difference. And when it ends up being a closer game like it was. You can look back at points like this and say, that was a difference maker. And specifically, this uh, this RBI by Pete, the ball was hit to Nick Castellanos. And I, I know that Joey Cora just, he I'm sure he runs Regalo lights very habitually as he drives on the road. He was just waving that arm around, even with the middle of the order due up and nobody out. But he knows in the back of his head that Nick Castellanos is digging the ball out in left field. He's not a very good fielder and he doesn't have a very strong arm. And it's coming to D.D. Gregorius right here, who's not a very good fielder and doesn't have a very strong arm. D.D. bobbled the ball. He spiked it to home plate and Marte beat it by be there by a couple seconds and how about uh how about the day for pete too who yeah. came into the game maybe struggling a little bit people on twitch were telling me he was struggling mm-hmm. i wanted to fight them because it was like six games into the year but pete had a day two doubles yeah a home run it's kind of pete alonzo we expect to see four hard hit balls a home run that we're going to talk about later he was fantastic and then we had a lot of hit by pitches as well today yes. the hit by pitch train continues canna mcneil Don smith yep we did get a run out of it which was helpful but we have just been getting drilled and yeah. it continued and you saw buck get on the top step again buck's giving some glares buck is ready at any moment's notice to drop the gloves and throw some hands and i will say that i think that when we were winning this game 8-1 that um they might have thrown a gene segura intentionally there's a world where it's that possible. sean reed foley pitch that hit gene segura in the wrist and took him out of the game could have been intentional. The one thing I will say to the defense there is Sean Reed Foley didn't have it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He mean, was, His command isn't great normally. Yeah, so there's a good world where that was just a complete accident. Yes. Because he was kind of all over the place, but that's something to notice, something to talk about. We, again, said this series was going to be big for a lot going forward here. There was a lot of dudes hit this series yes, already. And, and we know continue. we know the bad blood that they already have with each other. And the Mets play the Phillies 10 more times before June 1st. Series. We are going to see a lot more of these guys start next week in a city field yep start next weekend at city field after all those hit by pitches and escobar's walk we saw the nito double play which killed the inning yeah. we would have loved to have been crazy people and yes. pinch hit there me and james talked about it it's it's crazy person this is this what, was the fourth inning of the game this is what the giants and rays do yes. so we don't expect the mets to be there and i don't expect you guys to necessarily be behind this decision making either but if you really are trying to just make some nuts moves and was, really go balls, five five nothing at this point yeah, right? balls to the wall knock them out fit end the game right then and there you pinch hit. You pinch yeah. hit for Nito. You bring in McCann. And you kind of rock that way. It's scary with only two catchers to ask a guy then catch like four or five innings. Especially gets... especially the day game after the night game. James McCann was getting a blow. If like this was night game after a night game or the Mets had three catchers in the roster, I would say absolutely yes. But even not, this should be the thought that is in the back of the, back of the minds of the managers. Because you went through this entire game and did anybody in the bench get one at bat? I don't think so. Travis Kanchowski didn't come in the game. Uh, Robinson Cano did not come in the game. J.D. Davis did not come in the game. There were Guillermo did not come in the game, and McCann did not come in the game. So there are players on this bench. None of them were used in this game. If you want to start being that crazy next level type of baseball manager, that's where you do it. You find a situation, you step on the throat. We didn't do it. It's not the end of the world, but we just we talked about it and we we delved into it more on the stream. Yeah, for sure. And then we uh, we saw a little bit of crazy Max Scherzer too because he yeah. gave up that that single to Bryson Stott. Which, by the way, I need to have a conversation about Bryson Stott. I was talking about this on the stream. I need to bring it to you guys, your guys' attention here. Bryson Stott, Vegas guy. People out there just seem to be a little bit of a different breed. I will say, Bryson. It's a name of Bryson Jason put together. That to begin with <laughs> is just that's a fake name. I'm sorry for names Bryson. It's just it's out there, and his walk up song what? needs to be. Sp- spoken about because both of them 
It is just one of the worst walk-up songs I've ever heard. He came up to Uncle Cracker, Drift Away, and then he came up to the song from TikTok. I think it's like, I know I'll be A-O, A-O, okay, which like, Terrible. that is just, Bad. you can't let a guy named Bryson beat you to begin with. And then that's his walk-up song. It's it's not allowed, and I'm glad that he didn't end up beating us. But there were, he's he's a pretty good hitter. He's he's got a good approach at the plate. I gotta he's, give him that. He's a good ball player. He seems very sound. He plays a lot of different positions, which is something this Phillies team desperately needs. And this at bat against Max Scherzer, he fought off a couple of very tough pitches. And at this point, it was first and third, nobody out in the bottom of this fourth inning. Scherzer had struck out the two hitters before Bryson Stott to make it first and third, two outs. So you can kind of feel the momentum coming back to the Mets, even after they put some more runs on the inning before. Again, you're trying to put a team away. You're trying to step on a throw and he fought off some tough pitches and Scherzer threw him a two-strike fastball that got a little bit too much plate below the zone and he just fisted he didn't fist it but he, he smoked it he didn't smoke it either it was something in between I thought he took it what was the exit velo on that I bet you it's close to 100 94 and a half okay he didn't smoke it but almost a hard hit ball so I mean technically you could have been right 780 XB but XBA got just over Francisco Lindor's glove and got Whatever the Mets just got an insurance running before, the Phillies grab one back. And it kept, it, this is one of the moments that kept them in the game. And, and by all means, you give up only one run when you have first and third, nobody else. That's, like, decent. I would call that, like, a neutral finish to an inning. And Max Scherzer stomped into the dugout. He threw. He was, his glove. He was screaming. He was bright red. His hair was everywhere. Gave us a little taste of the psychopath we have pitching for us. And uh, he does have that history, too, with the Phillies last year. Joe Girardi yeah. checking him for sticky stuff. Taking over, his, over again. Taking his pants off, screaming at them. Joe Girardi then challenging Kevin Long to a fight <laughs> who he's a good friend with, who's now the hitting coach <laughs> yeah, of the, the Philadelphia Phillies. Phillies. Like, There's a lot going on there with the Phillies and Max Scherzer. Glad to have him on our side. Yes, and it was another start I mentioned before where Max Scherzer was able to gut one out and be very, very useful to this team without his best stuff. He had a 25-pitch first inning that kind of killed any chance he had to give us length. He still got through five, which... Yep. Most modern pitchers throw a 25-pitch first inning. You almost got to write them off in the third. He threw more than 50% fastballs, and he did get some whiffs on that, which is a very good sign after getting none last Friday night against the Nationals. He touched 97 for the first time this season. If Max Scherzer can maintain 96-97, we have, uh, we have a still an ace even in his late 30s. But he just didn't seem to really have the touch in that slider or changeup. He wasn't throwing them in, in a lot of counts, especially not when he was behind. But... All that being said, those two pitches combined got 40% whiffs. So even when Max Scherzer is just like 50% of what he can be, he's still mowing people down and very, very effective. Isn't that crazy to talk about him not having it? And then you go, but his whiff rate's like elite still. Yeah. It's like one of the best in the game among yes. for any pitcher for pitches. He's so sick. And luckily, again, the Mets offense was alive this game. We scored a lot of runs. We kept going. We kept third, hitting. Third day in the Phillies bullpen. This week's going to happen in yep. the series. And this is something that we talked about. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, the Phillies have the big names. Yeah. But as you get deeper and deeper into this roster, there are massive. Massive, massive holes. Can you imagine with this series being said and done, the pitcher, the starting pitcher who pitched the most innings for the Phillies was Zach Wheeler. The guy who hadn't hasn't all spring and yeah. has a bum shoulder right yes. now. He was like, only throwing 94 miles an hour, like five miles an hour below his average velocity last year. No, it's crazy. But luckily, like I said, the offense kept hitting. Sean Foley then came in, didn't have it. We spoke about it, hitting Gene Segura, whether or not that's intentional or not. That's your guys' decision to make. I don't think it was. I think it could have been. It could have been. I don't think it was. I'm not going to say it was. He struggled, didn't have it, kept them right back into the game, giving yeah. them a couple runs here and there. And then Joelli came in, who Joelli seems to be the martyr of the Mets yeah, community so right now. Well, it's not going to be the manager. Yeah, no. <laughs> God forbid a Mets fan says anything bad about Buck Showalter right now, which he didn't do anything wrong in this game. I don't think he deserves... No, no, no. no. I, was just, yeah. I was just saying that usually for whatever Mets team, especially in my lifetime, the manager is 100% the scapegoat. Yeah. And then now it's like, all right, everyone, especially the old guys, I'll trust the manager tremendously. So we got to scapegoat somebody else. Yes. And that guy has been Joelli, who got Schwarber out, who made him look stupid. Made him look really stupid. The problem, though, was when he came out for the next inning, which, again, this is this is going to be a theme all season long, I think. But against a lineup about. like this with the Phillies, you, you used Shreve yesterday. You want Joelli to be able to face Bryce Harper. You don't want to bring in a not-so-great righty in the seventh inning to face Bryce Harper. You no, don't I, want that. I 100% agree. Yeah. Um, and he walked JT, walked Harper, yanked from the game. Adovino came in. Wasn't sharp. He hadn't pitched in a while, I feel like, either. Yeah, I feel so like it's like been a few days. days yeah. yeah, so not good, not bad. 8-5, though. Yes. Too close. Don't like that. Scary. Scary when this game was... Kind of out of reach. I think I tweeted out, I'm like, 8-2. It was 8-1. Yeah, it was 8-1. I think I tweeted out when it was 8-2. I was like, 8-2 has never made me sweat more. <laughs> like, the Mets find a way to make an 8-2 ball game close, mm-hmm. and that's what they did. But luckily, we had our boy, Eddie Esco Bombs, the extra base oh, hit machine. Even before that, I want to talk about the fact that Seth Lugo had a good outing. Okay, yeah, he, yeah. He came back from what was a little bit dicey on Monday night. Not a little bit dicey. He was very dicey. He was as dicey as it gets. And then he just he looked good. Curveball was working. He's getting his fastball over. It was all good. Against the top of the order, he faced, faced Schwarper Real Muto Harper, if I do remember correctly as yep. well. 
And that kind of eased my stress going into the top of the ninth inning where your boy Eddie Esco bombs. Yes. The extra base hit machine. Yes. Puts one out to center field. Good the moment. Poor little kid. Yeah. Poor guy. Let's he looked what happened. He was like 10 or 11 balls hit right on the precipice. The, on the, the rail. On the railing. We know well about the railing last year playing against the Phillies. Right on the rail. He gives us a little, uh, what's that kid's name against the Yankees who's famous for putting oh. it over? Jeffrey? I have no idea. Well, whatever that kid's name is. This guy did a little bit of that, except he was a Phillies fan, kind of helping the Mets out a little bit. Reached way over, clanked off his glove. The glove fell off into the field, too. Uh, the poor kid. I feel bad yeah, for him. Me too. He's got to go to school tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, That's a his, Philly fan. His, all, his friends all, are blowing him up. All the garbage Philly people are going to be shitting on this poor kid. They booed him. <laughs> they booed a 10-year-old kid. He felt bad. His hat was over his face. They threw his glove back to him. I Which was nice. Was the Adi Revealing, whoever was playing center field ninth inning. That was very cool, but I felt for that kid. He was bright red. Losing your baseball glove as an 11-year-old, that'll ruin your whole summer. It's devastating. Oh, like, my God. His summer's, his summer's just getting started. He's playing rec ball. He he's, might have a game tonight. He's, he could. He <laughs> skipped school today to go to this game and unfortunately got caught. I mean, if I, I mean, that's a good dad. Just shares of Nola. Yeah, oh, well, I, I would hope that all the fathers of Philadelphia or New York Mets fans get, had the opportunity to pull out their kid. Even to watch it on TV, it's worth it. <laughs> I'm going to do that at some point. I'm going to put my kid to watch a game on TV. Yeah, by then, this guy throws five innings. Yeah, you got to watch him. Got to watch him. Now, here's what happened, though. Eduardo Escobar got the triple yeah. after you know replay review, which was great because the man's an extra base hit machine. Plus, he walked three times on the day. Ridiculous. Have a day, Eduardo Escobar. Eight on the year. Eight on the year. And then Dom Smith, we got another sack fly. You guys know we love the sacrifice fly around here. Dom Smith with a nice sack fly to left field. We talk about that Castellanos play. Couldn't make a good throw. Mm-hmm. Safe at the plate. It was close. A good throw. He might have been out. Yes. But because the Phillies defense, again, is trash. There you go. The Mets score a run. Get a huge run to make it 9-5. Edwin Diaz comes in, gives up a the, doink, the doinkiest home run of all yeah. time to Bryce Harper. We said it only happened because the man has never sinned. No. As, as a good Mormon, he's, no never, he's never had a shot of whiskey, I believe, <laughs> yeah. is what you said. That if he did, the that ball's ball, not getting out. It's not getting out. But he got a home run there, and uh, the Mets end up winning this game 9-6. Edwin Diaz yes. was fine. Very and, casual. And we, Edwin Diaz looks very good. No, no hate for Edwin Diaz. And, uh, that ball by Bryce Harper, the 160 expected batting average off off the bat. It was essentially the Jacob Stallings home run. <laughs> yes, it was. that was the same expected batting average as a lackadaisical Mark Hanna ground ball to end the top of the ninth inning. Yeah, it, like, just got, it just got out. Your Citizens Bank Park. Just happened to go 335 feet in yes. the right spot in the air. So, yes, well, it happens. Mets win the series. Yes. That's the big takeaway here is the Mets win the series. Another high five for the boys. Two of three. Could have been three of three. Could have been. And we really did set the tone, I think, for what this season series is going to be. We went on the road for a Phillies team that was kind of swinging the bat well. I know they they ended the series poorly against the Oakland A's. They didn't score. But it kind of played into the rest of the series here. The Mets were able to quiet the bats. And even this game, they didn't particularly hit well. It was a lot of walks and a lot of doinky little hits. And it wasn't really until they were down 8-1. They got the bats going. And same thing with that that uh, that Monday night game. Like we got, we kind of got their bats going. Like just the JT Romuto home run, really, yeah. and then the back to back doubles. But it really showed a lot from this Mets team to be able to win this game. Like there's something I talked about at the end of the national series, but you can just see when this Mets team is on the field now defensively for the first time in basically my entire life, they are the ones who are putting pressure on the other team to make mistakes. Yes, it's not the other team putting pressure on us to make mistakes. The Mets are making all the 50-50 plays. They're making the the easy plays look easy and the medium plays look easy and the hard plays look medium like that. Escobar made that big play, yes. which sounds the spin, crazy. The spin spinorama, where he, he probably didn't need to. Mm-hmm. Look good. Look good. Look swag. And he got the out. And that's like that's an out that Mets teams and Mets third baseman might not get in years past. Not Eduardo, J.D. Davis. Not J.D. Davis. Eduardo Escobar by no means is a gold glove third baseman. No, no one would say that. But player. he makes the plays you have to. And the Mets are playing solid defense. They're pitching well. They're hitting well. This is a really good recipe to be a very successful team, and that's why they're 5-2 and two right now. Could be 7-0. and oh. And a big difference in a rubber match that got a little hectic was the fact that in the third day of bullpens, the Mets relievers were a little bit better than the Phillies. The Mets defense was a little bit better than the Phillies, and that's how they won this game. The way their bullpen pitched at the end of the game and the way their defense didn't let the Phillies get back into this game more than they did just anyway. No, it was, it was fantastic. 5-2. and two. Going into the Arizona Diamondbacks series. We will talk about that here in a second. But first, we do want to give a little bit of love to the prospects. Yep. The big three. Yes. They have had a week or so. Yeah, our boys in Binghamton are ripping the absolute cover off the ball. And, you know, some might say it's because they've all happened to be on the Mets Sub Podcast as mm-hmm. guests here. And all, coincidence. all three of them. 
playing really damn well in double A. I mean, the Mets, we, we've talked about this in the past, like the Mets minor league teams typically don't do well in the record department. This double A team is a juggernaut with these three. It's an actual super team. Yeah. Like, this, is one, this has to be one of the best teams in the Eastern League. It has to be. I mean, Brett Beatty, Francisco Alvarez, Ronnie Mauricio, just on the offensive side. Those are three future Major League Baseball players, and a couple of them have a chance to be really, really good. Those are three top 50 prospects, almost no no matter what way you slice it up, no matter what ranking system you're using. At least, at worst, it's three top 100 prospects. And just to start with our guy, Francisco, he's had some loud home runs, three and three games, to go along with two doubles, four runs, and seven runs batted in. And he had a single, a very, very loud and long yeah, single the that he pimped. He, he <laughs> backflipped it, which is funny because he last year when he did it and we spoke to him about it, he said he was going to calm it down a little bit. But... Seems like he's feeling himself a little bit. And I hope he is feeling himself. Let's have some fun. He's better than almost every single player in this league. He should be pimping it. And the big thing for Alvarez that I like to see, last year when he got called up from St. Louis to the Binghamton, while the power was apparent, one of the most best power he has basically ever seen in the Cyclones, hard to hit home runs there, he was swinging and missing a lot. His K-rate jumped from like being a minuscule number in St. Louis where they had the automatic strike zone, and he's a savant, a strike zone savant, to over 25%. So far this year, three games, only two strikeouts. Really, 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 really great to see Francisco Alvarez honing back in that play discipline that made him a super prospect to begin with. I do truly believe, too, that that awful, awful batter's eye with the yeah. cyclone and the, the lightning. The wind. Yeah, everything in there also plays a little bit into it. But Francisco Alvarez swinging the bat well. Playing like this is going to be up in AAA soon. It maybe maybe makes a little appearance for those New York Mets. We got to give him a, basically a full month here in AA. You, he has to be able to dominate, like make these players look small for a month. And then yeah. we can start talking about something that could actually be realistic in a few months, possibly. Yeah. And then let's talk about Brett Beatty, too, who, not too shabby, not too shabby, a homer, three doubles, six runs in four games. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, these guys are just good hitters. They're good ball players. Yeah. So it's nice to see that at the level that they're currently at, they seem to be extremely comfortable in playing well. Yes, and Beatty and the next guy we're talking about, Mauricio, did have a little bit of exposure to double-A last year. Francisco Alvarez did not. No. He finished the season out with the Cyclones. This, these are his first three games in double-A, and he has five extra base hits, another ball that was smoked off the top of the wall, and just two strikeouts. And then Ronnie Mauricio as well. Homer, two doubles, a stolen base. Granted, he is still striking out. And he isn't walking, which has always been the knock. That's yes. going to be the knock, I think, on Ronnie till the end of time. That might just be the player he is. He might, might not walk, and he might strike out a lot. But we know that the talent's there on the offensive side mm-hmm. with the power, with the pop, and even in the field, yeah. looking pretty good. He yeah. gets the plays that he needs to. He's still so young. All these guys, even Beatty. I know we like to talk about him so, being like a... ARP. <laughs> yeah, ARP, you know, sixth-year senior out of <laughs> high school, whatever he was. But he's still, what, like 21, 22? Like, I think he's 22, and the other guys are both 21. They're so young. This is the future of the Mets, and it's nice to see that the big three-headed monster of hitters is just looking really good. Churning. And the last guy I do want to mention also is Jose Budo, who we talked about a lot last year. Got the opening day start for uh, the Binghamton Rumble Ponies, one of the best names in the minor leagues. Through four innings, no runs, eight strikeouts. Yeah, he's good. Really good. Really good. He's throwing fastballs high, changeups low. The, f- the shape on that fastball is something I paid attention to a lot, too, because it looked like he had that nice rising action, even though Budo doesn't really have the elite velocity other top pitching prospects have. He looks like he will at least be a useful major league pitcher. Not sure of the role, not sure when, but it seems like Jose Budo has enough to get to this team at some point within the next 18 months and contribute. And quick little housekeeping on some prospects, too. We saw Jacob deGrom take a picture with Joel Diaz. Yeah, really cool. Which is cool because Diaz is uh, it's an exciting, really, really young fireball and prospect that the Mets mm-hmm. have as a pitcher. DeGrom, obviously, because of the injury, is still out in Port St. Lucie, out in Florida. Anytime Joel Diaz spends around Jacob DeGrom is a huge win to me. I hope he goes over his house and eats dinner with a family. He should. Yeah. He should invite him over for a nice dinner, for a nice meal. I'm <laughs> sure Joel D- right, yeah. I'm sure he would appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. God. And then let's preview the Dimeback series. Yep. That's five and two. Coming into the home opener on Friday. A nice off day, which I think is huge early yes. in the season. I love an off day here, especially. Off a win. When, off a win is great. Yeah, off off day off a win, feeling like we did score and runs like that. It's great. And we're playing the Diamondbacks, who are not one of the best teams in baseball. They are weak. And we got the home opener. We got Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The boys are going to be there. We're going to be there on Friday, maybe Saturday. I might be there Sunday. Uh, not my Easter. I'm Greek, so I'll be celebrating the weekend after. James, he's got his Easter this weekend, so he won't be there. But Good Catholic boy. Good Catholic boy. Friday, we will be there. The Seaver statue unveiling. We're tailgating with the seventh line. Having some bevs. Hanging out with the family, too. The families yeah. are going to be there. Mm-hmm. If you guys see us at the stadium, make sure you say what's up to either of us. We'll mm-hmm. not be sitting with each other necessarily on the home opener, but we'll be walking around, hanging out. We got stickers for you guys, yes, so sir. if you want a Mets Up sticker, we'll be handing those out too at the stadium. Feel free to use them how you please. Do whatever you want with them. But we got the Dimebacks, and we got Chris Bassett on the home opener, which I love, because that's yeah. a completely different feel than Carlos Carrasco. No yes. disrespect to him, but Chris, look good. Look good. Look good. Chris Bassett looked great, though. Yes. And I'm super excited to watch him in person yes. for the first time ever going up against Zach Davies, who is quite literally BP. 
Just, just, just hit the ball. Hit just the ball. Gotta hit the ball. He's gonna throw the ball down the middle. He's gonna throw a ton of strikes. Sinkers. He throws eighty-eight miles an hour. He's not Kyle Hendricks eighty-eight. He's debatably not a very good pitcher, Zach Davies. And this is the first home game for the Mets, the new Mets, which we talked about that maybe this lineup is built to play in City Field a little yeah, bit better in the bit. future. This will be a nice test because balls are going to be in play. Zach Davies yes. is going to put the ball in play when he's on the mound. And this Mets lineup, the way they've been swinging it, I feel pretty good. Game two, we got Carlos Carrasco going up against Zach Allen, who we know Zach Allen at just any point could become one of the better pitchers in baseball, especially with Brent Strom there now with mm-hmm. the Astros, uh, former pitching coach now being in Arizona. Interested to see him. And then game three is Caleb Smith versus question mark. We don't know yet. It's Probably- no. So we haven't put anyone on the schedule yet, and there's two options for the Mets. It could either be David Peterson just fully filling in for Tywin Walker's rotation spot. That The last time he pitched was Monday. It was four innings, so he has enough rest. Or really could be Tyler McGill. Because Tyler McGill pitched on Tuesday. This would be Tyler McGill's fifth day. This would be normal rest for him. And the Mets have an opportunity to go through one more full turn this rotation with another off day next week with four starting pitchers. And I'm interested to see how they play it. Yeah, I, I, I'd be aggressive. If the, especially if the Mets win the first two games, let's be aggressive. Let's have yeah. some fun. I mean, but also they can see the opposite. Like Caleb Smith's pitching for the Diamondbacks, who is objectively awful. Caleb's a star there. He's, he was a good reliever last year for a period of time, but he throws not hard from the left side without really many good secondary pitches. No, he should get smacked around as he did in his first start of the season. Yes. Mets should beat the Arizona Diamondbacks pretty pretty badly. Yes. They should hand it to them. They are not one of the stronger teams in baseball. Keep an eye out for Cattell Marte. Yeah, he's a good he's, ball player. He's just like one of the better players in baseball. You don't know about him because he plays in Arizona, but yeah. he's really, really good. He'll be a pain in the ass. Anybody mm-hmm. else from this team offensively want to watch for? I mean, new guy offensively. Dalton Varsho is a pretty exciting prospect. He's a very athletic catcher slash center fielder, which you don't see every day. And he played shortstop in the minors, too. I want that to be known. Yeah, he's a pretty good ball player. Cooper Hummel is another prospect who's been hitting leadoff for them. He's just one of those classic play discipline guys. He will sit there and just watch pitches go by all day long, wait for a good one, hit it out of the park. If he gets that opportunity, I don't know if he will. But overall, this lineup, as of right now, five, six games into their season, basically have no hitters hitting above 200. Their bullpen's also not good at all. Just let's kill them. They started the year in Arizona, too, which is just a hitter's heaven. You love to uh, hit Not Arizona. anymore. Humidor actually neutralized it. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, over All the last two years. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. But beat them, sweep, Crush do whatever them. you want. You got you to gotta take advantage of yes. the bad teams. We're going to talk about that all year long. It's what the Rays do. That's why mm-hmm. they're able to win first place every year in the American League East. Got to beat them. They just lost the game to the A's. They're hurting, though. They're hurting. That's different. But anyway, beat up on the Diamondbacks. And this has been a messy, messy episode. Really messy episode. <laughs> messy episode. Episode number 83 of the Messed Up Podcast, brought to you by the 7 Line, of course. Make sure you guys are following us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, all that kind of stuff. Messed up. You'll be able to find us there. Video content on YouTube, Messed up podcast if you're listening to us apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, wherever you listen you'll be able to find us drop us a rating drop us a review it really does help follow me on twitter at giraffe neck mark james at jeter had no range we'll see you guys at the home opener on friday thanks for listening and uh let's go mets let's sweep the diamondbacks they suck <laughs> peace out guys see you next time